the word just read to us from Job certainly does put us in our place, doesn't it? Of course, the words there were intended for Job, but they're rightly significant for us as well. Puts us in our place in that we often wonder who knows more, God or us? And indeed, Job, at the point of his life where he was suffering so much, he was questioning God. And humanly speaking, he had quite a bit of reason for questioning his creator. But God himself spoke to Job and made it clear, Job, it's true, you don't understand why all this is happening. But there's quite a few things you don't understand, Job. And until you could answer all these questions which point to the sovereignty, the control of God over creation, Job, you really don't have much reason to question me at all. Indeed, God shows to Job that God is very capable. He is very aware that God knows what he's doing. At times we do wonder, what in the world are you doing, God? Why this? Why this again? Why this at all? And it is good to be able to say that God does know what he's doing. And it's wonderful to be able to say that God is good. God is not only wise, but he's good. You see, that's what allows us to be able to trust in him. Not just the fact that he knows what he's doing, but that he's a benevolent God. He's a good God. And therefore, we have good reason to trust in him. He is in control. And this morning, we're going to take a look at a particular story that Jesus Christ tells, which sets for us the importance of a proper foundation. Everyone, everything needs a proper foundation. Let me show you the view of my dorm for two years when I lived in Chicago attending college. This is what I saw from morning to morning and evening to evening. You want to show us that picture? There it is. It's quite a picture, isn't it? It's quite a way to wake up in the morning. It's quite a way to go to bed at night. Magnificent city, beautiful building. That, of course, is the Hancock Building. In order to reach the whopping height of 1,127 feet, engineers of the Hancock Building understood that it would have to lay a very deep foundation. Back in the day when I was there, it was one of the tallest buildings in the country. Today, I believe it's the 13th tallest. And in terms of worldwide, there's many 60-plus taller buildings yet. But nonetheless, the Hancock Building was built along the shores of, of Lake Michigan, rather soft ground. And the engineers knew that if it was going to endure the windy city, it would have to have a very secure foundation. 384 million pounds were going to be erected. And so they had to drive down these piles, these caissons, into the ground, deep into the ground. In fact, one is driven down 191 feet into the ground, into solid bedrock. That is to say that in order for this building to be able to stand year after year in the windy city of Chicago, for every 100 feet that it went up, it had to go down 17 feet. And so the the foundation of this building goes deep and it is strong. 
I mention this because we have all met people along the way. Maybe it's been we ourselves. People who have proven to be very capable people. People we look at and we admire. People who have proven to be well-established. People who are successful. People who are accomplished. And yet, at one point in their lives, everything comes crashing down. Their lives just tumble. And we look in surprise and we say, how can that be? He had it all together. How could that be? She was a model to the rest of us. They built well. They knew what they were doing. However, they were not well rooted. Their foundation was unstable. And as a result, it brought about their eventual collapse. In fact, their lives eventually was resembling more the Tower of Pisa than it was the Hancock Building. I want you to see what Jesus Christ has to say on this matter, on the topic of foundation. And so let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew. That's the first book in the New Testament, chapter 7. And let me read to you from verses 24 to the very end of the chapter, verse 29. Matthew chapter 7. This is a parable. Jesus Christ often used parables to teach, to illustrate biblical spiritual truths. A parable is just that. It comes from the Greek words para and ball. Para means alongside of, like parallel bars, and ball, to throw, like a ball, right? So Jesus Christ is throwing a spiritual truth alongside of an everyday, ordinary story, event, a parable. And this is what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these, these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Verse 28, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teachings. For he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as their scribes. My friends, you know this to be true. Uh, Everyone needs a firm foundation. And my question for you then is, what kind of foundation do you have? What kind of foundation are you laying down today? We're all building our lives. What kind of a foundation do you have? What we see here in this parable are two builders. Both are very capable builders. Uh, Both considered, how affordable is this house? Can we do it? Both had a proper layout. Both had a proper planning designed. Both had adequate builders, teams. Both were able to procure all their supplies. Both were skillful builders. But one is described as a wise builder, and you notice there the second is described as a foolish builder. And here's why. The wise builder built a house, a home, on a rock. Actually, it says here he built a house on the rock. The rock. 
And the word there for rock in the original Greek language is Petra. And it's not just any rock, it's referring to a massive rock. It's referring to a cliff, a, a, an unmovable ledge. He built his house there. He considered the durability of his new home. And then the other fellow, who was a very capable builder, builder, he built his home, but he built it on the foundation of sand. He wasn't foolish in the sense that he didn't know how to build. Uh, he's listed here as a foolish man because of where he built his house, the foundation that he had for his house. Now, he was not so foolish as to build his house on the shore itself. Nobody would be that foolish. But he built it close enough to the water so that he could enjoy the soothing comforts of strolls in the sand, so that he could go to sleep at night listening to the lapping sounds of the water as it soothed and put him to sleep. He did not want to place a house all the way on top of that rock ledge. Every day he would have to climb up at the end of a long, hard day of work. And every morning he would have to climb back down. Who wants to do that? It was much easier to build his house on the sand. The problem, though, with this foolish builder is that he didn't consider the durability of his house. How long would it last? So you have two, two builders, two competent builders, but you have two different results. When nature was calm, the houses were okay. Everything went well. Both were suitable homes. Both allowed for the, the owner to relax and to be content, to put his feet up, to be able to do whatever she enjoyed doing in her new home. One enjoyed the spectacular view from on top of the hill, and the other enjoyed the beautiful view from the bottom. As you watch the water flow, the waves roll in, enjoying that cool breeze and the ocean smell. Then, however, nature had its way. As you well know, weather is always a challenge for any structure. The seasons changed. The rain began to come down. And it caused the streams to rise. The waves rose. The wind blew. And it beat against the houses. Some years ago, my family and I were in um, Mount Washington, New Hampshire. Highest peak in New England. I think on the East Coast. And we were surprised when we got to the top. There was a house there that was actually chained down. There were chains that would come up and over the house to hold the house down because of the winds that would come winter after winter. Well, the destiny of the house is listed here for us in the parable of Jesus Christ. Both houses were sturdy. Both houses were built very well. The story here is not a matter of know-how or skill in building your life. The issue here is the foundation. The wind did not tear down either house. The rain did not flood its rooms. They were well built. 
However, the wise man's house remained standing, whereas the foolish man's house fell with a great or a mega crash. The difference, as you well see, is the foundation. The foundation of the house. The wise man had built his house on a very strong foundation, a very solid, an immovable foundation. It was a foundation of a rock that did not shift with the impact of the weather. Meanwhile, the foolish man, although it was very pretty, it was very comfortable, everybody wants a beach house, he built his house on the sandy land, and the foundation shifted. It eroded. It twisted. With every drop of rain, that house was being threatened a little more. The flow from the flooded stream began to take away the house. And then, with the slightest push of the wind, the house twisted and it crashed. It collapsed. That was the end of his house. Now, I find it interesting because Jesus Christ is telling this story at the very end of a rather lengthy sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's the only such sermon that is recorded for us in the Gospels. Now, Jesus Christ gave many teachings, but this in particular here, the Sermon on the Mount, addresses various topics for the daily life of any person. And it answers the question, how do I know whether or not I belong to the kingdom of God? How do I know whether or not I am a person who is right with God? And so Jesus Christ, in this lengthy sermon, chapter 5 of Matthew, chapter 6, chapter 7, explains and answers those very questions. And as he comes to the very end of the sermon, he says, those of you who hear my words and put my words into practice, you are like the man who built his house on a solid rock. And those of you who hear my words but ignore them, you are like the man who built a very nice house but your foundation was poor. Your foundation eroded and your house collapsed. One built his life on a sure foundation. The other built his life on a foundation that could not support him, a foundation that eroded. So Jesus Christ acknowledges that among every group of people who hear God's word, there are going to be those who will put it into practice and those who will not. We do not take it for granted that everyone who hears God's word is going to say, oh yes, I must follow through and do what Christ says. But please understand that here that Jesus Christ places everybody in the scope of his hearing into one of two categories, foolish or wise. Now you notice here that Jesus Christ is not deciding who is foolish, who is wise. We decide for ourselves who we are. The listener decides for himself, herself, who he, she is. Am I a foolish builder or a wise builder? And I decide this by determining what will I do with the word of God. I heard, now now what will I do? How will I build my life? And Christ said very clearly, those who are taking the words of God and doing the word of God are the ones who are building their house, their lives, on a sure foundation. He tells this story 
And he makes this point very clearly. Every one of us fall into one of these two categories. You have two builders, two different outcomes. You also have two kinds of hearers, two different lives. The person who hears God's word and follows, wise, and the person who hears God's word and ignores it, foolish. The point is very simple, my friends. Your foundation, the foundation of your life, really does matter. You may have all the excellent choices afforded to you, but if your foundation is not stable, your life is in jeopardy. A person who builds his life on the words of Jesus Christ is one that will stand the test of the weather of life. The person who builds his life on the ideas of the world is going to find himself, herself, in great jeopardy. It really doesn't matter what quality of materials you use to build your life. You know, in fact, some people insist on only the finest, right? They, they only want the best for their lives. And that, that, listen, if you can afford it, good for you. They insist on fine arts. They have exquisite taste. They have this intense education. They expect the best. They only accept the best. They have this great glowing salary. They have a very promising future. I think most of us, most of the people we know, maybe you're the exception, uh, we live a more humble lifestyle. We are not jet setters. I don't see any jet setters here. Maybe your education is lacking. Maybe your job is not as glamorous as you hoped. Maybe you wonder, which is more difficult from day to day? Is it the battle of the bulge or the battle of the budget? But both are hard. Maybe your idea of a great vacation, because you're a simple person, is a, is a camping trip where you get to wade in the water. Maybe your idea of a great vacation is Europe, skiing the Alps. Whatever the case, you're building the life that you want. You're building the life in accord with your preferences, your scope, uh, your ability according to your skill. Maybe your life looks like a Rembrandt. Or maybe your life looks more like, a, like dogs playing poker on a velour canvas. And whatever the case, this is the life you chose. This is the life that has come at you. This is the life that you're making the best of. And you're used to it. It's become my life. And you look and you say, I like my life. I look forward to tomorrow. It hasn't always been easy. Sometimes there's cracks in the wall. Sometimes the window doesn't open as well as it used to. But it's the life I have. And I thank the Lord for it. I'm grateful. But my question for you is not the quality of your house. The quality of your life. My question for you this morning is your foundation. What is your foundation? 
Is it strong or is it fragile? What have you built your house on? You have two different outcomes. The first one, hears God's word and puts it into practice. His house is his life. The person who builds on the foundation of the solid rock, referring to Christ, that mega rock, that Petra, is the one that withstands the calamities of life. You noticed, of course, that the storm hit both homes, the one up on top on the rock and the one down in, uh, on the sand. The truth is, is that life does bring all sorts of trials, doesn't it? Life does come our way, and at times there's a lot of, a lot of peace, but often, even in the midst of the peace, there, is, there are challenges, and there are griefs. Often we're smiling one day and crying the next. Often we do both at the same time. Because life can be challenging. At times, if we're not careful, we can easily become very sour, very salty. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus Christ in chapter 5, verse 45 said this, that God causes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And that he causes it to rain on the evil and the good. You see, we all have very similar experiences. Calamities do come our way. Trials do challenge us. But the person who builds her house, the person who builds his house on the foundation of the words of Christ will withstand the scourges of life. Do you believe that? You build your house, your life, on the foundation of Christ, that bedrock of truth. And you will endure the challenges of life. The other person, he heard God's word, but he did not put it into practice. His house, his life, did not withstand the calamities of life. And neither will yours. You will be overwhelmed by the calamities of life. Stresses that come your way will make you turn to mood-altering substances, medications. You will be plagued with habits that you cannot break. Anxiety will take over. Not because you didn't build a fine house, but because your foundation was not good. You will have contentment, but only for a short while. It'll flee away. And life will be filled not only with stress, but with suspicion. You'll always be wondering, what about tomorrow? What about him? What about her? Somebody said that God's judgment will cause that person to stagger. My friends, no one can hear God's word and walk away neutral. Jesus Christ made that very clear. He said, you heard what I had to say. Now you have to decide what you're going to do. But nobody here can be neutral. Nobody here can say, well, I didn't know. 
We are each responsible for the knowledge that God's given to us. And that's a good thing. Because his word is actually transformative. His word is not uh, not only religion. We're not interested in religion. We're re- interested in the bedrock, the foundation that he gives to us so that our lives will be transformed by his word, by his grace in us. And again, contentment will be very temporary if you're only a hearer of God's word. Your life will become a disaster area. It will collapse. That's the parable that Jesus Christ shared. But take a look at the last two verses that I read to you earlier. Verses 28 and 29 of that same chapter. In this day where absolutes are so hard to find. Where everything seems to be in transition. Let me say absolutely that the words of God are absolutely true. Faultlessly true. Notice here that the teachings of Jesus Christ are final. They are definitive. They are complete. And as Jesus Christ closes up his sermon, and he closes up his scroll, actually he wasn't using anything to read from. He had it all here. The people are amazed. The people are just astounded at his teaching. And the crowds recognize that God's word is absolute, even if they didn't always understand it. The people were amazed at his teachings. They're awestruck. Christ spoke to them with truth. And he spoke that truth with authority. He didn't say, well, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there. I'll tell you what I think. In our day and age, we sort of appreciate that, don't we? In fact, we don't like it when people speak as if this is the only option we have. That's just not fashionable. And yet, you've noticed that that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. Because you see, there can only be truth and lies. You can't have two lies and end up with truth. It's either true or it's not. And so Jesus Christ offers to them his truth, which is the only truth. Why is his truth the truth? Because he is the creator of truth. He is the creator of the world. We have a very common expression today which says, tell me your truth. And I can tell you my truth, you can tell me your truth, and where where they collide and they clash, well, then we just walk our separate ways. But the truth is, my friends, the truth is, the truth is always true, whether I embrace it or not. And that God is the creator of truth. Why? Because he is truth. Truth emanates from his very essence. And so it is wise to take his word and put it into practice. These people, again, are awestruck. He spoke to them with authority, given to him by God the Father himself. We could say that Christ told it like it is. Here is the core of the teachings of Jesus Christ. That God is all. God is all. And man is nothing without him. It's not that we don't have anything to offer. I'm sure you do. I like to think I do. 
But outside of Christ, it all becomes meaningless. It becomes empty. It becomes an attempt to chase after the wind. Some years ago, I believe it was during the era of World War I, British man, writer, quite the humorous guy by the name of G.K. Chesterton, entered an essay contest put out by the Times of London. The Times of London had asked this question, what's wrong with the world? And everybody submitted their essay. What's wrong with the world? Well, let me explain what's wrong with the world. And paragraph after paragraph, they explained what was wrong with the world, hoping that maybe they would win the grand prize. G.K. Chesterton wrote simply this. What's wrong with the world? Question. The answer, I am. And he signed his name. Guess who won the essay? (laughs) Chesterton did. What's wrong with the world? I am. And that's the the exact point that Christ is making here. There can be no true success. There can be no lasting contentment in this life. No persisting hope. No stable future without Jesus Christ. And this is not intended to be a poke in your eye. This is intended to be a breath of fresh air. A word of hope. Because we've all been trying to make it to the top. We've all been trying to make our lives better. We've all been trying to do our utmost. And some of us have done very well. But at the end, we find ourselves still empty. And when the weather of trials come, we find our foundation eroding away. And Jesus Christ says, come to me, and I'll give you a sure foundation. I'll give you the ability to withstand, to stay strong. It's crucial that you have the proper foundation. That is the teaching of Christ, that he is the solid rock. The solid rock for your life. Because in and of ourselves, we are nothing but a marred image of what God is. We bear the image of God, yes. Dolphins don't, penguins don't, dogs don't. Although they do seem to be very human at times. But we alone are the image of God. But we are a broken image of God. A very marred image. Now, outwardly, we are very able. But inwardly, spiritually, the Bible tells us we're dead. We are spiritually dead. And Christ comes in order to give us life inwardly first, spiritual life, and give to us the foundation by which we can then erect our lives, the lives of our dreams, the lives of his dream for us, so that it would be stable, so that it would be sure, so that it would endure. My friends, we are on a sandy foundation when we begin to take our house and build it on the ideas of the world and ignore the word of God. We are on a shifting foundation when we hear God's word and we say, you know what, that was good for an age in the past, but for today, this sounds much better. 
we are on an eroding foundation when we think that the ways of man are superior to the ways of God. It may sound good, it may smell good, it may look good, but I assure you that what man has to offer will bring your life to a collapse. Only Christ, and therefore his word, is a, is a guaranteed foundation. Um, somebody said that, very naturally speaking, we as human beings, we put out a lot of heat, but there's not too much light. <laughs> We're not as brilliant as we think we are. We may be very promising, but our ways do, t- do tend to fail to deliver. How we respond to God, how we respond to God's call in our lives will determine what kind of a foundation we're putting down, what we're building our house on. If we live as if God doesn't live, that mentality will trickle down to every choice we make. Big choices, small choices. Choices about my education. Choices about my relationships. Choices about my marriage, my home, my children, my friends. Entertainment choices. All these will be affected if we think that God, that God's word, that Christ is for another day, for another time, for another person. My church choices will be determined by whether or not Christ is my foundation. And the ramifications of the person who has ignored Christ is, once again, your life, your house, will crash down when the winds of time blow. When the waters rise, it will flow away. Your life will be taken away. If we live with the foundation of Jesus Christ, not only will you survive those trials, those challenges... If you live on the foundation of Christ alone, those winds of trials are going to blow. The waters of stress are going to flow. They will flow right past your windows. But listen, you will not only survive, you will thrive. You won't enjoy it, but you will thrive. You will survive them. And not only that, but you will be built up by those very trials that come your way. They will not be for naught. You will actually prosper because of the challenges that come your way. If your foundation is in Jesus Christ, you will be blessed by what other people curse. And you will be found content because of them. Some years ago, I came across a local man who is a multi-millionaire. He has done well for himself. He owns hundreds of acres not far from here. And he built a beautiful house, grand house. He calls it his castle. And he built this life without Christ. He had no desire for Christ whatsoever. He amassed all sorts of riches in a very honorable way. In fact, he uh, provided services that nobody else wanted to do, things that nobody else wanted to uh, uh, touch. He said, I'll do it, and I'm going to get paid good money for doing this. And indeed, he did. With a lot of sweat, a lot of diligence, and a lot of threat to his own life, he did what he needed to do. 
And as he was approaching his midlife, he looked at everything he acquired and he said, I have nothing. So he went to the tattoo parlor and he had etched across his arm the word loser. <laughs> loser. He showed it to me. He rolled up his sleeve. It was a very ugly, poor, poorly done tattoo. He said, huh, loser. I said, why did you do that? And he said it was a reminder of who he really is, of the emptiness of his life. He had everything, and yet he considered himself a loser. Even as he jumped into his pool, even as he flew across the sky in his own airplane, even as he closed these massive deals, he said, I'm a loser. There's a constant reminder that riches bring nothing. Indeed, there was an emptiness in his soul that was caused because he lived a life outside of Jesus Christ. He had heard the words of Christ, but he had ignored the words of Christ. And his life was collapsing. But it was this collapse that finally made him turn to Jesus Christ. Ironically, it was at a New Year's party that he heard the gospel. Somebody sat him down while everybody else was celebrating and all the confetti was coming down. And they shared the gospel with this man. And that's when he realized that he needed to take that Christ he had heard of those words that he had heard spoken to him. And he needed to give his life to Christ. And he did. And his life was transformed. He became a new man. If you see him today, you'll still see the word loser there. I asked him, why do you keep it there? He says, it's to remind me of who I used to be and who I am no longer. Christ has transformed my life. And today he has all his riches, all his acres, but they really don't matter much to him. He says, that's not where I find my meaning. That's not where I find my life. My life is found in Christ alone. He is now my foundation. In fact, he gives away quite a bit of what he has. Jesus Christ said, I have come to give you life abundant. And it begins not by amassing great riches. Abundant life begins when the foundation of your life is Jesus Christ. It's a wise word for those who are wise and will listen. Let me pray. Our Lord and Savior, thank you for the beauty, the simplicity of your truth. For the fact, O oh God, that you are the foundation of life and that you give to us not only purpose, but you give to us direction and hope for tomorrow. We thank you, Lord, for in you, O Christ, we can build our lives and be secure. In your name we pray. Amen.